Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I am Andy Wood. Hey, Andy. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Liking, I'm enjoying your uh, 18th annual SF Sketchfest t-shirt that you're wearing. Yeah, it's a good fit. It's a fun little retro uh, sort of 80s video game feel to it. It is. And and it came free with the festival. Oh, that's the best part about a festival is a free shirt. I don't think Bridgetown even had free shirts, did they? It did not. Sorry, guys. I Sorry don't own any Bridgetown t-shirts. <laughs> Do you not have any? No. I've got loads of like 2009 through 12 in my dr- closet if you want something. in what size uh probably a range that didn't fit me and that's why they're there so maybe they would fit you okay all right or maybe they would fit our guest maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> they would if they are a british medium <laughs> the brits do have a difference like yeah. our british <laughs> I, I, once, I, once I was racking tape. my brain trying to think of a British meat. <laughs> oh, the <laughs> Dr. Stokes. Famous. <laughs> <laughs> Mystic Meg. There we She's um, more of an astronomer. Astrologer. There we go. That's the fake one. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? It, I, it throws me every time, too. Yeah. I always have to take that beat, and this time I landed on the wrong side. Yeah, like a psychonomer is a real scientist. Psychologists are just... <laughs> 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 that is the voice of... of Friend of the show, uh, on at least one occasion, co-host of the show, Nick Doody. Hello. You've... But yet a person who's never been in the same room with me until a couple of days ago, correct? That, yep. That is exactly yeah. right. Yeah, never been to America before. Oh. Is oh, your... sorry, never been to LA before. I should correct that. Yeah, never oh. been to LA before. And uh, yeah. Hey, Nick. Hello. We had a very nice time um, hitting up some, some local West Hollywood, Hollywood area bars, pubs on Monday night. Yep. Along with friend of the show, Henry Phillips. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we got really deep into, I, I didn't think that we would get drunk and then talk about, um, linguistics. <laughs> but that, that's a risk of getting drunk with me. No, I liked <laughs> it a lot. It was very, coming back from Australia, we were talking about various, uh, pronunciation differences among countries and stuff, which listeners have heard me nerd out about, but I'm not actually an expert in it. And you actually know something about those things. A little bit. <laughs> What was the thing that was blowing my I'm, mind? I'm, I'm, I'm already right now just thinking, what an interesting difference getting drunk between being drunk, where you're using drunk as an adjective, <laughs> another sense of the passive verb. Anyway. Getting or being. Getting. Yeah, achieving a state of versus... Uh, I love the pantomime that's <laughs> happening right I, now. I, I, was just, I was just miming to Nick that you need to keep close to these mics because they're shit. No, there's, there's a joke in, uh, in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where uh, Ford Prefect describes to Arthur Dent what it's like to be teleported. He goes, uh, it's unpleasantly similar to being drunk. And Arthur <laughs> Dent says, what's so wrong about being drunk? He goes, ask a glass of water. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. How very British and awesome. <laughs> I love that. How scientific is lingu- cause lingu- we should explain. You studied yeah. languages at university, and then, but also particularly focused on linguistics. No, not. Or no. did you not? Or you? Uh, I did linguistics as part of my degree, but okay. I didn't. Uh, you can do modern languages and linguistics, and that wasn't what I did. I did modern languages, and I did a module of linguistics. Okay. Uh, but they did say if I wanted to come and do like a postgrad or defil or something in linguistics, they'd be very happy to have me. And then went, you haven't spoken to any of my other tutors. <laughs> yeah, this is the thing I like. And right. I really, I'm not doing the reading on the other things. This is the one thing that comedy hasn't fully stolen me away from. Yeah. Yeah, there were some things that really interested me the other night. We were talking about um, like the stuff that 
gets me is when somebody, even when you describe the physical things you would do with your mouth to make a sound, when a person just can't do it because they didn't hear it at the right age and you just lost that yeah. level of plasticity to be able to do, like the diphthongs you were talking about that I'm not even aware I'm doing. Right, because you're, hear, you're hearing it as, as the normative way, that, yeah, the way that, say, the letter A generates this sound. Right, we're talking about like in Spanish, like casa versus casa, and you were saying there's even kind of a version where casa or something like that is kind of correct, but I'm saying ca almost as two vowels. Right, that, yeah, that the flat A in American is a diphthong. Which I don't get, but... Casa, like you can't, you... Eh, casa, or something <laughs> like that. I know, that, you know, I know that's what, not what you'd say, but... um. And then like the L's and R's in Japanese and how it's neither one. It's like kind of between yeah, those it's just two. Yeah, or... it's just this liquid that's yeah, yeah. neither one. So we, we think it's hilarious they mix them up. But when we try and say, right, relaxo in Japanese is relax. Right, relaxo And But I, how I'm doing it there, I cannot get over get. the fact that in English it's relax, not lyrax. Mm-hmm. So I, the still I've got this bias towards making the first syllable Different more from the, and the second syllable more le. But wait, say it again the way you think is you're doing you, you're attempting to make the same sound with both of those. Kind of, well I mean you can do it and yeah. it's it's comprehensible to a Japanese person but uh, I, yeah it's somewhere between L and R mm-hmm. so it's a relax but it's it's also hard not to put on an accent that you think might be racist when you're doing it. Yeah. Oh I like, think we got into that also the fact that I used to work at a company that had a lot of Asian clients and and, and co-workers who would come over to our American office and people who didn't speak their language would just speak American English or would speak English in an accent, in like a Japanese right. accent. I'm like, is that helping them or is that just kind of but, a weird version of But in of some cases or? it kind of... So that we, she's not here to tell the story accurately so I'm going to have to tell a, a bad second-hand version of it. But uh, my girlfriend's brother lived in Japan for years, is married to a Japanese guy, speaks fluent Japanese and she went out to visit and... He advised her, if she is struggling to make herself known, just sort of do that. Do the- and she got lost one day and went into the McDonald's because she saw, well, that's an American-owned business, fundamentally-owned business. Maybe yeah. there's, they might have a better chance of speaking Japanese than this full Japanese restaurant. And and tried to ask the way to the hotel a few times and was not yeah. understood by someone, even the person who was pushed in front as the, the English speaker. <laughs> and then eventually went... Oh, this is like I want to want to hotel. Uh, yeah, yeah, because the hotel is hotel. But you would say they don't have. Um, they're not using an article. An article, right? So, so you're she saying, was saying I want the to hotel, and they're picking up this series of syllables yeah. and trying to make sense of it. So it, yeah, paradoxically, you know, and, and you feel incredibly racist doing this because you're like, yeah, yeah, but but, 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 but you're saying like saying the hotel is very hard for them to pass as well it's potentially a little bit more confusing for them yeah There's why, why give meaningless them... yeah yeah and i guess articles really don't serve much of a purpose in terms of conveying information in english aside from just whether this is the only thing of its kind that exists or not aside from that articles are just space fillers does it actually add anything to the meaning of a sentence to have the or a in front of something i'd say it's pretty important difference isn't it just that one difference, whether that whether this is the only one that exists, is worth lengthening every sentence and having to put this in front of every single vowel. Like, well, why, I mean, why you, would we, know, it... we know you don't need it because the Japanese don't do it, right? But do they have the the, the concept of having like something be the one versus just one of many of them? 
Yeah, you can. You, you just have to you, say those words in some way besides just having. I'm sure you can. My, my Japanese is not that great. Yeah. But, um, I'm sure you can. There's other things that Japanese don't do. Like, do you speak Spanish at all? I speak a little Spanish. So you know, in Spanish, you don't tend to say "I do something" or "He does something" because the conjugation covers because, it, right? Yeah, because yeah. it's it's covered in the in the verbs. So "tengo" versus "tiene," you don't have to say it. But in Japanese, it doesn't do it. "Tengo" "tiene." It it just stays as "imas" or "des" or whatever. They don't conjugate at all. Uh, no, and Which you still, but you still don't say who's doing it. Oh, you just, oh, you just expect the other person to infer from the context. context. You can say who's doing it, but it's a really, it's a very indicative ah. of a new Japanese speaker that they start every sentence with watashi wa or anatawa, which is how you'd say I or you. That it's four syllables to say I. Uh, watashi is I. Oh. Wa indicates that we're we're now referring to this person and that they're doing the thing. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, it would make sense for language to have either you have the subject and the verb without conjugation, or you conjugate the verb and you never use the subject, but doing both is kind of belt and suspenders-y. Like, English right. doesn't have to... If conjugation is different for every every one of those six things, you can save space on subjects always. Yeah, or just don't conjugate and always use the subject. It, sorry. <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting worked up about the concept I, I, I of conjugation. Back, maybe people wouldn't do this so much anymore, but uh, back in, you know, the 40s and 50s, there were people who used to uh, used to speculate, well, if you look at their language, I mean, they have only n- no difference between each other. They're just all, you know... About, you know, about who? I'm oh, sorry. Well, well the, the Japanese in this case. Oh. So that they, you know... When when one of the when one of them goes insane, they all go insane, and this sort of you know, pretty pretty dodgy racist shit. Uh, but but there are ways in which language use does. I don't, I don't know how much of it is influencing the culture and how much is reflecting the culture. But uh, it's uh, it's sort of chicken and egg thing. But there are linguistic things that do affect how a culture behaves and or are affected by. Like for example, in Romance languages where. Unlike in English, where we have he and she, but then the plural is always they. Uh, in French, Italian, whatever, there's a f- male plural and a female plural. There's il and l and so on. But and Spanish, yeah, and Spanish, yeah. absolutely. But if there are a hundred women, you use the female plural. If there are a hundred women and one man, you use the male plural. Yeah, I think it's the same as Spanish, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's all, all the Romance languages are like that. And um, I, again, I don't know how much the language influences the culture and how much the culture is, right. or how much the culture has influenced the language, but that's definitely a, a highly indicative of a highly yeah, gendered culture. And, and also just the fact that there are languages where you have genders assigned to things that aren't alive. Right. It's a yeah. crazy thing. Yeah, most of the Romance languages. Yeah. And who picks those mm. things, and or who picked them at some point? I mean, it's point. pretty obvious what gender a table is. <laughs> yeah. Look at it. Or a lamppost. Look at it with or... his legs apart. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the ones that are like fake outs that end in A, but are ma- masculine because they're like from... Like agua? Yeah, I think... Uh, idioma, all the things that end in M-A, sistema, M-A-P-A idioma. M-A-P-A and T-A, I think. Maybe planeta, is that... No, Maybe no, just no, 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 P-A and T-A, I think, is still a feminine only. El Mapa, I think that's one. Oh, is it? Okay. Uh, this is the least science Or I guess it's this this, always this, more science this, than other This episodes. is how boring it can be to get drunk with me. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. It. It's a combination of that and then just the Henry Phillips stories that uh, listeners will be well uh, familiar with. Like, how did this happen to you also, Henry? Oh, yeah. It's so funny. Such good company. How are you every... <laughs> it's incredible. Once again, if you've not seen either of Punching the Clown or Punching Henry, the sequel, just... 
A, firstly watch them anyway because they're very funny films but also as you watch them having heard Henry on the podcast and knowing who he is bear in mind almost every story <laughs> in the film is runs pretty close to something that genuinely happened to him yeah it's it's incredible being around him um, and for that night I forgot briefly about my searing back pain which is currently crippling me and rendering, rendering me not the best host um, but do you know what I did yesterday for the first time in my life? Was it something wildly unscientific, Andy? <laughs> it was. I was I was at my wits end. Uh, I had taken, I got some CBD gummies. I'm like, that might do something. Um, I got a <laughs> muscle relaxer. I took some prescription strength leave. Um, uh, that's, the, that's the chuckle of someone who doesn't come from a country where medicine can come as gummy bears. Yeah. <laughs> or, 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 or that that medicine is available. <laughs> yeah. That's uh... around the corner on the way to the coffee shop. I was like, let me just see if this does anything. And everything it's, it's one of the worst back pains I've ever had. And I was like, fuck it. Finally, uh, fine. Let's go to a chiropractor. Andy. And I know. I know. But I understand. So, it. You, you got, you got, so CBD being the cannabis derived. That's supposedly better at um, pain. It doesn't give as much of a, of a head highs. By the time this airs, we will have already talked with, um, Emma Chasen, who's a marijuana expert, listeners can go back and hear more about the details of what the various things within marijuana or cannabis do. But um, yeah, the sort of the short version of CBD is supposed to be the one that's more for pain management and um, is calming. But I don't really feel any psychoactive effect from it. So how many of these gummies did you rub into your back? <laughs> <laughs> no, they were suppository gummies. Oh, all yeah, right. Oh, they're still in bear form? <laughs> <laughs> I call it my bear ass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do bears shit out? <laughs> yeah. Does a bear shit into my ass? Uh, so you cut the chiropractor. Um, well, suffice to say, I'm in extreme pain right now, and I am two hundred dollars poorer after going yesterday, and then again this morning, because I was like in for a penny, and because at the end of the first one, he's like, "So uh, you got to come back tomorrow." I'm like, "Do I have? I don't have to do anything. This is all out of pocket. Insurance doesn't cover this." But um, doesn't it? I thought insurance does cover. I thought I that... also have garbage insurance. So, okay, uh, it's. Uh, but yeah, I. I I don't mean to insult chiropractors out there. I think we've talked about this before. I do. Okay. Well, I mean, I think it's kind of like Scientology. I mean, it's nowhere near as bad, but, um, <laughs> you know, somebody took some methodologies that worked, like L. Ron Hubbard took some existing, like, self-help things that probably, without any mysticism behind them, are useful, and then added right. levels of bullshit. And what I've heard is that if you want to go into chiropractic, just become a physical therapist, because that's a real thing. Right. And I think parts of what he did were things that a physical therapist would do. Like the pain is in a very specific place, just left on my spine, lower back. I thought it might be a sciatic nerve thing. He figured out it wasn't based on where the pain is. But he put some of those um, TENS uh, pads, you know, that you can... Um, yeah, this ones that sort of... Electrostimulation, yeah. Stimulation. yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, okay. And then had me on this um, table that slowly like bends and unbends so it's like stretching out my lower back as those things are stimulating it and while that was happening it did feel better and then he did the the adjustment the thing that they're they're known for right. the, and it was it was kind of funny i mean yeah i did hear some sounds but i think that's that that's the part of it that makes everyone think something's happening is Just, oh I heard, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard a click that's but mine were very subtle clicks and he's like there it goes i'm like that wasn't a thing. That didn't just do... Because it was in parts of my back that weren't hurting. Well, and my so neck's not hurting. What he did didn't help my neck because it wasn't hurting in the first place. And uh, It's really unlikely that what's wrong with your back is a thing. Oh, that's... A, there you go. Sort of that like that I mean, sort of car engineering level. But I kind of thought it was so close to my spine and my lower back and so localized that I was like, what if he just taps something there and it just... Because it, it, it was so bad. I just needed something... Um, it's so bad right now. I don't. I, I think I'm gonna have to get some actual opiates. It's 
anyway um yeah two hundred dollars uh poorer now and i know not to do it um i might get some of those i might just do that myself the electrical thing though if it, it helps in the short run but um listeners who've had chiropractic experience positive or negative i'm curious uh tweet at us at probably science or email probably science at gmail.com I want to hear your stories. Have you tried a mixture of hot and cold and like the heat and then... I didn't... When it first got hurt like a week ago, I didn't realize that it was going to get worse and I didn't ice it right away, which I should have, I guess. And it's just gotten worse every day for the last week, kind of. Oh, yeah. Ice would help. Initially. I mean, ice ice. Oh, like... Wait, what, <laughs> is that meth? I forgot what I... Immigration services? Yeah, either or. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I just quickly Googled debunking chiropractic to, to see if I could find something that's um, not just me speculating that it's bullshit but um well it doesn't it, it depends what claims they're making right so there are different um yeah well there, there are different there, levels about the people if they're you know saying oh we'll cure your son's autism or stop them being deaf yeah. or croup or whatever you there's no supportive evidence in that uh for the chiropractic subluxation which i think right. is the that's the click the cracking being associated with any disease process or of creating suboptimal health conditions requiring intervention. Oh, they're saying there's no uh, word of evidence of it being bad, but is there also no... Well, there, there, has, there have been a couple of sort of accidents where people have had their back licked and it's caused yeah. genuine damage. Yeah, that's supposed to be... Uh, that's the advice is that if you absolutely are going to go to a chiropractic, don't let them near your neck. Oh, Really? Yeah, I let him do that thing to the side. It was fine. It was fine before. It's fine now. Um, that was the loudest sound. It was the next stuff. The the things near the pain barely did anything. And then at some point he had me on my stomach and he was like going to crack my sacrum or something, as he said. And uh, he pushed. And maybe this was a trick because they know that that part's not going to click and people want to have some kind of like feeling of a click. Yeah. But the table itself clicked down a level as he did it. Like, there we go. I'm like, that was a table. Then he popped it up again. <laughs> I didn't say that, but like I thought he knew that it didn't work. He put it up again, pushed again. The table went down and clicked, but my my hip didn't. He's so, like, yeah, that was it. So he's like, just got like wasn't... a clicker under the table. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. a guy. God bless him. And I mean, you know, he's not, he's strong, but like he wasn't able to really work me that I thought it was going to be severe, which might not have been better, but I was just expecting a more dramatic series of things. But yeah. uh, Do you ever go for a massage? Yeah, I should have just spent my money on that, but um, I mean that wouldn't have helped either because the pain is is below. It's not in like the surface muscles; it's underneath right. my hip bone, um, and just nothing works except lying very still in a certain position I can find. But um, so none of you guys have tried chiropractic. Neither of you, I should say. No, I haven't. I haven't tried that. That's probably for the best. But I've been to a lot of been for a lot of massages. A lot. <laughs> Sounds more kind of seedy. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I'm I was, having one right now. Yeah. <laughs> when they were like six dollars in Vietnam, I think I got one every day. Yeah. Oh yeah, in Thailand they had a lot of massages. Yeah, I mean these were I didn't do any. Yeah. Yeah, not weird. Not my the, wife was with me. Right, I? right, right. So she was the one doing all <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. she took the brunt of it. <laughs> uh, uh, Oh, I realized, I think I know who I saw tweeting about chiropractic in the first place. Um, Simon Singh, I think, has been a pretty vocal... He was sued Yeah, by... the, the, the British Chiropractic Association sued him. Uh, at, unsuccessfully, we should point out. Good yeah. work, but, uh, And there was also, uh, I don't know whether he was part of the same thing, but there was a skeptic group, I think he might have been involved in it, that were was reporting numerous chiropractic websites for making unreasonable claims yeah. making un unscientific and unmedical claims so they obviously started with 
Yeah, I th- I think when they're claiming, oh, we can just sort of m- manipulate your back and improve your joints or whatever, it's yeah. hard to, even though this, the evidence is sketchy for that, it's hard to criticize them. But then when they, when they start making claims like this will treat yeah. cancer. Cancer or- and polio and ice cream headaches and fear of dogs and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> move your couch in for you. And- <laughs> yeah, so they were going through that and successfully getting them to take that down at the very least. Yeah, this was, uh, let's see, British Chiropractic Association versus Singh um, back in 2010. Well, they they sued him assuming that he would just fold and he'd have to apologize. Yeah, yeah. But he had a lot more money than they think he, than they thought he did. That's so great. It's a win for yeah, anti... I think, yeah, I think it was a combination of he's he's a successful author, so he had his own money, and then yeah. other people stepped in as well who have interest in rational, yeah. rationality. And I, think, and, I think he's from a pretty wealthy background as well, but, but whatever. You know, he, he he didn't fold. It became quite celebrated. Quite mm-hmm. a few people put... Yeah, it's like they tried... They, they try to bully someone who was less easy to bully than they were expecting. Right, right. And also really had the passion and drive and... It's a great cause desire to ...desire to, to actually step stand behind yeah. it. Right. Well, that's what you do if you're, if you're a proper scientist and someone challenges your claims is you try to ruin them financially. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this ties in, actually. I just finished watching... Have you guys seen Behind the Curve yet? The documentary about Flat Earthers? Oh, no. I really want to. Oh, uh, damn. And you have it, Matt? We have, we have to watch it because I, uh, yeah, I wish someone we know is a... Is yeah. a t- someone who has been mentioned on this podcast years back. There is, there is someone who stayed at a friend's house. In fact... St- stayed at a former guest of the show's house uh-huh. who has been mentioned by me on the podcast for his uh, one of his other theories which was to avoid chemtrails and the government being uh-huh. able to poison you to always breathe out more than you breathe yep. in this is matt boylan who goes by math powerland correct i wasn't going to name oh, him specifically <laughs> Why can we not? I think. Well, you, you can't miss him. He's a deflated person. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's. I mean, he's mentioned enough. He's a big enough part of the movie that there's no way someone would not get that. Is, do I have to edit this out or not? No, fuck it. Okay. He yeah, said he, it. He he's <laughs> kind of yeah. He's, he's in the movie saying it. <laughs> well, he's he's not the. They couldn't get him to be on camera in the movie, and they had a just a text screen explaining what he demanded of them oh so they say that in the movie because yeah. our friend our friend whose floor this person painted uh brought this <laughs> phil to nickel. Our, now we're saying everyone's yeah, name phil, phil friend, nickel. friend of the show phil nickel who was on the show a couple of months ago yeah. who uh, you may well remember canadian comic very funny who i used to live with in london but then as did nick we all lived yeah. in the same house back in the day but then phil had moved to a place of his own that this guy stayed at for Amazing. a few days, and when he came back, the floor had been yeah. decorated with a sort of crop circle pattern, would we say? Yeah, this kind of <laughs> sacred symbol. Hey, listen, you're Flonny's painting. I'm a painter, so let me you know, let me say thank you by painting your floor. <laughs> what, what floor that's that's it, awesome. It was like a, a wood floor that had already been painted one solid yeah, color, it, it, but it was chipping off. It was it, it was white, but a li- little bit dirty, but oh, you know, not okay. horrible. Okay. And uh, when Phil got back, it was not white anymore. <laughs> Some of it was white. <laughs> But it also had, yeah, it looked like a, a UFO landing strip. Like, that's incredible. Although one that actually didn't work. Nothing came. Nothing. Yeah, went. nothing no. arrived. As far as we know. <laughs> well, this this guy, yeah, you should. The movie features him a lot, but it only I think just fair uses clips of him on YouTube, because he was, I guess, the main character is this guy Mark Sargent who constantly wears flat Earth shirts or shirts that just say "I am Mark Sargent." He loves. <laughs> right. 
he's that huge in their world. He loves being this celebrity, but wow. he is hated by Math Powerland or Matt Boylan, the guy we're talking about, because um, he sort of stole his thunder. Because Matt, when people were first hitting up, whenever the media realized this was a phenomenon, wanted to interview people, they would try to reach Matt, and the only way to reach him was somehow was through Mark Sargent. So, so is is Matt? Is Matt somebody in the flat earth world? Sorry, on the flat earth world? Oh, very much so. No, he's one of the... He claims, he claims that he was a NASA artist and NASA would hire him to... I think part of it is like that pictures of Earth you've seen are not pictures, they're paintings um, from space, rather. Right. Um, so he claims that he, he has all this inside information from NASA that he wasn't allowed to talk about, but he will anyway, but even NASA believes it's fine. So he was the guy, but because he wouldn't answer the phone, Mark who was like, I forgot why he had his phone number, would, would just be like, well, I can talk to you. And he became the face of it. So then right. Matt got super mad, I think, at Mark's celebrity. So now Matt, a.k.a. Math Powerland, is starting up all these conspiracy theories that Mark Sargent is actually an agent of the CIA, or he's an alien, or he's a lizard person, or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, Matt, the person who painted Phil Nichols' floor, refused to appear in the movie because, in addition to money, um, I forgot what else. There were a lot of crazy demands, some of which I think were physically impossible. So, didn't he? Didn't he demand like artistic control over the whole film or something? Something like that. Yeah, uh, it's very worth watching. It's on Netflix. It's a well-made documentary. And then they even they spend a lot of time talking with scientists and skeptics and high school physics teachers, and uh, they give a fair amount of leeway to the flat earthers themselves as far as like what's the right way to to tackle this, given that these aren't trolls. And you see that it's kind of just that these people want a community. Like they have this, right. they're they're on the fringes of society. They found this group, and you think about someone like Mark Sargent, who has the "I am Mark Sargent" shirt. If he sees <laughs> definitive proof, and he says that he's open to it, if there were proof that it were that the Earth were round, but how could he walk away from that? Because he loses all of that. He loses his entire community. Yeah. He loses his friends. He loses his ego. Loses the fact that he's you know beloved and a celebrity in this world. So it's like, yeah, why would you think coming at the people with 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 facts would sway a thing that would have to to for them to change this would now require rewriting their entire story to themselves and their friends and i don't know how you get someone to do that yeah i think it's inc- incredibly hard and typically people don't and we're not wired to do yeah, that yeah we're wired to just defend our position and and just keep going yeah and I guess the more entrenched you are as well, the more... The less you can... How could you back down? Because now you've lost... Like people in the movie talk about losing all of their family yeah. members and things because of this. And I mean, there are people... This is on... We are on episode 334 of this show. Like, there are people who clearly would not like to listen to this show, but they're in too deep now. <laughs> they've, they've listened to... Loved ones could try to show them why there are better podcasts out there. You shouldn't be just... listening to us, but, we, but you have... You've dedicated... Roughly, I'd guess maybe four hundred and fifty to five hundred hours oh. to listening to our nonsense, and eventually you're like, "I'm in too deep. I can't, can't give it up." Yeah, we. No matter how much evidence <laughs> is presented to you that this is an objectively bad show, no matter how many times we accidentally retell the same story because we weren't recording an episode <laughs> together, no how many times? That's a lot of time, really. That's like almost solidly three weeks, isn't it? Yeah, every so often we'll get an email from someone who says, I came to your show late and then went back and listened to the entire back catalogue. And I, whenever we get one of those, I'm always a mixture of grateful, honoured and horrified. Yeah, <laughs> it's too it's much good. of us in one. Uh, that then, is a lot. And I, I, we got a, well, a couple of those recently as well. Thank you very much. And I'm sorry. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> Someone just wrote in to say they're listening at 1.2 speed, which is good, but like you can go faster. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Polly Tale. Well, I mean, if we the, do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. Matt, what's the next story? Well, it is uh, uh, a. Yeah, we haven't actually done any story. Should we, should we open with, I'm going to say, the most emailed in story this week? Yeah, the one that's pretty obvious we had to do. Yes. In fact, I'm going to even say, I'm going to read out this. I'm going to read out the full text of this email, even though it includes some praise, and I don't normally like reading out the praise, but it's, uh, it's from Chris, and it says. Hi, Andy and Matt. You guys were funny in Australia. Here's a story that five other people will send you. <laughs> <laughs> and you are correct, Chris. And thank you, all of those people who sent it in. Here's a story. We quintuplets have... <laughs> <laughs> uh, space flight is activating herpes in astronauts. Of course it is. Uh, yeah, space herpes, if there only were some... Uh... Either 3D printing involved in the story, or or someone putting poop in someone else, it would be the ultimate. <laughs> it would be the... probably science story. The longer astronauts spend in space, the more likely they are to have viruses like herpes, chickenpox, and shingles reactivate, according to new NASA research. The reason may be the same for viral reactivation on Earth: stress. Mm. Samples of blood, urine, and saliva were collected from astronauts before, during, and after short space shuttle flights and long-term international space station miss- missions. Herpes virus is reactivated in more than half the astronauts. The study published last week in the journal Frontiers in Microbiology. To date, 47 out of 89 astronauts, that's 53%, on short space shuttle flights. And 14 out of 23, that's 61%, on longer ISS missions, shed herpes viruses in their saliva or urine samples, says lead study author Satish Mehta at the Johnson Space Center. These frequencies, as well as the quantity of viral shedding, are markedly higher than in samples from before or after flight or from matched healthy controls. Shedding is when a virus successfully reactivates. I didn't know that that's... uh, So that doesn't mean you necessarily would have any kind of breakout. It just means... It means, I guess, yeah, you are... It's present in your saliva, which it isn't always. And I guess probably then more contagious at those times. On both short- and long-term spaceflight missions, astronauts undergo lo- exposure to zero-gravity, cosmic radiation, and extreme G-forces during takeoff and re-entry. Added to this is confinement in small spaces, social separation from family... And being and constant, constantly painted by the uh, onboard artist. <laughs> <laughs> Working hard up there. Yeah. <laughs> and an altered sleep cycle as well. That's the other thing. Spaceflight creates a stressful environment for the astronauts awaking dormant viruses. Four of the eight human herpes viruses were detected, including oral and genital herpes, chickenpox, and shingles. Because I don't know what are the other four. I didn't. I thought shingles was just the chickenpox virus yeah, reactivated. Yeah, so did I. Because I, I thought that's you don't get shingles unless you've the, had maybe varicella, whatever it is. Maybe we were wrong. I'll let Annie look that up while I continue reading sure. the article. Because the herpes Incognito virus... Incognito mode. Uh, how many herpes viruses <laughs> are there? Oh, no. no. He, just, he just hit H. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we're not going to herpes shame anybody, as we talked about before. It's probably in most of us. Or it is in most of us. Uh, because the herpes viruses take up residence in nerve and immune cells, they've never really gone so they can wake up. Wake up is in quotes. I mean, most of us have herpes. I mean, That's you know, when, when you're seven, that, seven, eight years old, your mum sends you around to the neighbours <laughs> to get herpes, <laughs> to, the to, herpes that, to that old man. No, just that old man's house. <laughs> he's, he's well paid for the work. And uh, he calls it a party. Mm. But 
Luckily for the astronauts, the reactivation of the viruses doesn't necessarily mean the symptoms return. Only six astronauts developed any symptoms due to viral reactivation. All were minor. But the implication for infecting others when the astronauts return to Earth is very real, especially those with compromised immune systems or newborns. Evidence of infectious chickenpox and shingles were still apparent in body fluids up to 30 days after the astronauts returned. The researchers are also looking ahead to future space missions, which will take them on long trips to the Moon and Mars through deep space. A round-trip mission to Mars could take up to three years. The magnitude, frequency, and duration of viral shedding all increase with the length of spaceflight, Meta said. The ideal countermeasure is vaccination for astronauts, but this is so far available only against chickenpox. Does vaccination against chickenpox work if you've already had it? Yeah, good question. I don't know. I don't know. These I are all questions. Either. I know we have it, listeners who may know the answer de- to this. It would be a denatured virus, wouldn't it? In which case, you've already had the non-denatured virus and it's sitting yeah. there dormant in your well, spinal I, I, column. I do know that you, uh, listeners to the show will remember about two or three years ago when I got whooping cough oh, right. on account of my mum falling for a vaccine scare <sighs> in 1980s London. Which so great. Yeah, this this was back back in the good old days when vaccine squares tended to be regional and shorter lived. <laughs> and equally bullshit, but at least they tended to be focused on certain areas and didn't go global in the same way that Andrew Wakefield's lies did. But that was the scare at that time. There was the that the whooping cough vaccine would I think cause brain damage or something. Right. Once again, it doesn't, it's bullshit. Vaccines are Vaccines. I was going to say vaccines are safe, but that that is a misrepresentation and one that people anti-vaxxers jump on. It's not true to say vaccines are safe. What is true to say is that Va- the risks are of, safer than not vaccinated. Yes, the risks of vaccines are wildly, I think, are wildly safer than the dangers of not than the risks of not taking them. Mm-hmm. In the same way that seat belts can injure and even sometimes kill, but the odds are, yeah. the statistics bear up the fact that you are substantially less likely and the injuries are far less if you do have your seatbelt on. There are, there are stories of people getting yeah. stuck in their seatbelt or injured by the seatbelt and so on, but since seatbelts came in, deaths and injuries from traffic accidents have dropped. Um, I guess it's dangerous to jump out of a five-story building, but if you're James Bond and the bad guys are about to burst into the room, it's still safer than the alternative. <laughs> like, it's people... It's a it's a matter of relative rather than absolute risk, and so uh, vaccines generally generally safe and certainly a hell of a lot safer than the alternative. Uh, and whooping cough not nice. I had it as an adult. It is horrible. I got it in my thirties. Thank. I even then. Uh, but the reason why I brought that up is that when I went to the doctor once, I I thought I thought at first I just had this bad cough, but it then it was like this is really bad and and really. You, what the reason why it gets his name is you get this really thick phlegm Ugh. that you cough up and it sort of sticks in your throat. So then when you inhale, you can't breathe in properly because it blocks it up. So there's this wheezing sound, oh, God. which is horrible as an adult. I can only imagine what it's like and how dangerous it is to a young child or a baby. Uh, but I, I Googled these symptoms. And I'm like, this seems like whooping cough. And I, the, la- the cough only comes a few times a day. So I f- when it was happening, I filmed myself and then I showed, <laughs> which was the advice online. They take a video of this and show it to your doctor, and I showed it to the doctor, and he was instantly, uh, yep, that's what it is, gave so, me antibiotics, but he also gave me the vaccine, and that's why I brought uh, this up, and I don't know whether that was necessary, if that, it felt weird that he would do that, because like I, you said... I, I, can, the, I can see that speeding up the process of your body learning, learning to deal with it, because the, the, the point of it is that you're, you, you're 
immune system learns to deal with the virus without having to deal with the active virus. Yeah, except the active virus is already there. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe it does sort of turbocharge in some way the process. I guess it's, it's like if you, could, if you could pause a real boxing match to have some boxing lessons. <laughs> yeah, right. except, except it's happening simultaneously, so I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're, Again, we have medical experts who do listen to the show, if you know, if you have information on this. And in fact, I think we have some listeners who are specifically in this field. And please, I'm, tr- I'm trying to go to the CDC to see if I can get a definitive on whether there's an effectiveness to doing it after you've had something. But I know when they first got the... Um, Gardasil is that the uh, HPV one that was like that b- became politicized because people on the right thought if you had this, oh, it will encourage sexual activity. Yeah, it's the yeah. same non-argument against. So it's, it's the argument for abstinence-only sex education right. as well. Like if right. we tell them to have sex safely, then if we give them condoms. We're saying go fuck right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as opposed to nowadays when they are all don't don't fuck at all because they've never heard of it. <laughs> Keep this sex thing a secret from them, and they'll. They're probably doing less just because of the Fortnite and all that stuff, right? I mean. <laughs> yeah, haven't, haven't some numbers gone down because everyone's on their phones? I tell I tell you one thing. When I, when I was younger, the the one thing that would put me off sex, and I think the same goes for anyone I knew, was the possible risk of cancer in forty years time. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. But I think I remember hearing when that was when that virus when that uh, vaccine came out that they only recommended it for women under. 25 or something because chances are you'd already been exposed if you're older than that or some age and right. like, well that would imply that being exposed there is no benefit to getting the uh the vaccine at that or, or maybe are also they really were just silly? prioritizing who they could give it to oh okay i'm being maybe. a bit silly about this story it's just occurring to me that they might just be vaccinating astronauts who haven't had the virus against catching it from the ones who are shedding because it's yeah. been reactivated that's also a possibility so can you get it from we should have an expert on instead of just guessing at this stuff. Like, yeah, if it's present in your saliva, but you don't have any outbreak, does that make you as contagious as if there's, I don't know. Anyway, I Well, hang up, on. How often, because astronauts will... Make out. I, well, I presume if I was an astronaut, I play the spitting game. Yeah, where sure. you, you go on either side of the capsule and you, you spit and then blow the little perfect glob of saliva across the room and see if you, you can catch it in the other guy's mouth. <laughs> it's so disturbing that that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Almost word for word. <laughs> now, now I'm wondering if you do the thing like that older brothers do to younger brothers when you pin them down and then they like, drip the spit but suck it back up at the last second, like, yeah. like a, you know, really like a loogie. If I you mean, will. You are, even, even, even with gravity, that's how bunk beds are, right? Yeah. <laughs> Someone <laughs> must so, have the, tried the, the guy in the bottom bunk gets to do it to the guy in the top bunk. Yeah. <laughs> for once in their life, <laughs> I'm gonna shit in the air into your mouth. <laughs> Say. Hypothetically, yeah. For for example, yeah, yeah. Just you know, just as yeah. a, just to uh, pick an instance <laughs> out of the air. Yeah, I did get some herpes stats for you guys. If you want to know, there are nine herpes viruses that are known to infect humans. Uh, oh, this article says eight. So you've got one more than CNN. I'm going with uh, Wikipedia over CNN. We'll see if it can we bears can we out. guess? There's the ones that deadly. <laughs> there's the ones that remove your Kryptonian powers. There's right. the one that makes you huge. There's well, the taste. Turns you evil. Mm-hmm. Umami. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's uh, there's the empathy herpes. Um, uh, wait, ep- sleepy dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And prancer. Triassic and Cretaceous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And one of them is Epstein Barr, which I didn't realize was in that family. I thought that was and Balthazar. <laughs> wait, is that one of? Is that the third musketeer or the fourth? <laughs> and Shem? Aramis. Okay. No, the fourth musketeer is D'Artagnan. Oh, really? Yeah, the three musketeers are Porthos, Athos, and Aramis, and D'Artagnan's the new one. 
does that happen in in the in the in the book the three musketeers okay yeah. it's not just was it wasn't added to add an extra star to the 90s um <laughs> Was that uh... also then? Also, they're not dogs. Balthazar, I was looking is is sixteen champagne bottles. Oh right, right. I right. got the Nebuchadnezzar and the yeah. But it, but it's also what is the Magi? Right, it's named after. Well, yeah. So they're Aspar, all. I think after Magnum, they're, they're, all they're all named all after Bible. Yeah, people, that, right. It's Magnum, then everything else after that is something biblical. Maybe Magnum is too. Yeah. But they're all something biblical that's not an everyday now. There's not like, and the Rachel. Right. No, no, no. There isn't. I'm gonna get, Which is just like, like two parted, Nebuchadnezzars. It's parted to one side. Yeah. It was very popular in the 90s. We're going to drink tonight. We're going to need a Matthew, Mark, Luke, and a John over here <laughs> of Dom. Uh, so nine herpes viruses, two simplex viruses, HSV1, HSV2. Uh, varicella, varicella zoster virus. Um, I don't know if that's the chickenpox one. That's var- yeah, varicella. I think. And I've heard so. zoster as something related to chickenpox. Epstein Barr. Um, oh, I've heard of Epstein Barr. Yeah, I didn't know it was a viral. Or I didn't know it was related to this human cytomegalovirus. Uh, human herpes <laughs> virus. <laughs> that, that very much that's, sounds like something written for a sci-fi film. Yeah, yeah, that. that and, and even that then will you know, kill that's us all in twelve the, hours. That's a bit on the nose. It's a little much. But then uh, it spreads. Yeah. <laughs> uh, human, human herpes virus 6A and 6B. Human herpes virus 7. They're getting less creative as they go up. Um, and Kaposi's sarcoma-associated herpes virus. Oh, I didn't know that's a herpes um, virus. That's often... That, uh, that is often related to HIV and AIDS. Like, or at least was back in the day. It was one of the symptoms that you start to get. And uh, right. it's... Because of lowered immune system. Mm, okay. On um, getting less interesting when they're naming things, and that seems to have happened with the elements. You oh, know, you know the Tom Lara like elements song, states and things, or well, yeah, well, there's a few named after people like Rutherfordium or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, then um, my, my wife had to rework the the element song by Tom Lehrer, mm-hmm. which she was doing for a three-part harmony group. And then one of the three-part harmony dropped out, so she had to learn the oh, whole God. thing. But it's got that final verse. And she decided to write an extra verse for all the elements that have been discovered since, since he wrote the, the song. Of the song. And okay. it's really... Unium and duium and tritium. Well, quite, well, quite often, though, those are the... Uh, Initial names, oh, like the, the 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 currently the final elements before they get their official names are just named after the Latin word for their their atomic number. So there was like ununium, which is a hundred which is the hundred eleventh element. Wait, that's a thing because we we can just say, well, yeah, if you had another proton, it would be this, and until we actually detect it, its existence, well, even it even exist. after it's been detected. It still has that name, and then eventually, at some point, I'm not sure what the process is because okay. we had a story about a year or so ago where they had finally decided on a couple of other names for elements. Okay, is that just, just all they did? Guys, I've had an idea for another element. Let's see that one. Add another proton to that, and yeah, a really- neutron because it's my birthday. <laughs> uh, you actually have to add several neutrons to keep it stable once you've added a certain number of protons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, is that in, true? In, you have to have more neutrons than protons. In, in, yeah, my, the, in my scene, he'd already added all but one of the neutrons. So I'm oh, okay, sure. right. Yeah the the larger the the larger the atom, the higher the neutron to proton ratio it needs to stay stable. I did not know. That. I did not say I wanted to stable. <laughs> Although once you get to a certain size, they're they're not stable anyway. They right, last right. for a very short amount of time. Yeah. But yeah, it's because of oh for fuck's sake, I can't. 
it's either the strong or the weak force. I can't remember which of them is the thing that actually holds the atom together. I think it's the weak force because I think the strong is what actually holds like the sort of what holds the proton together and the neutron. It's what sort holds of what the holds nucleus? the yeah, yeah the hadrons. No, not the nucleus. The actual the actual protons themselves, which are oh, oh. themselves made of things. Right. I think that's, that's terrible the strong- naming as well. Right. The strong force and the weak force. Like that. You name them like you're completely confident. We're not going to find any other forces <laughs> between the. Yeah, these are the extremes of of the strength spectrum. Yeah. Uh, By the way, last thing about herpes, in case you're wondering, um, according to Johns Hopkins, uh, between fifty and eighty percent of U.S. adults have oral herpes, and by age fifty, ninety percent of adults have been exposed to the virus. Also, oh, put- here we go. No, it's the strong nu- nuclear force is the force between protons and neutrons that keeps the nucleus together. And the weak force is responsible for the radioactive decay of certain nuclei. But the reason you need more is because protons are positively charged, mm-hmm. so they so naturally they repel, repel each, other. each other. So the neutrons... Can give some space to make it less well, the neut- The attractive force between that exists anyway between neutrons and other neutrons and neutrons and protons and protons and protons. The, but you need... They're right. all attracted by the strong force. So the strong force is pulling them together. The electromagnetic force is repelling them. And the more protons you have in there, the more neutrons you need to balance them out. To keep them separate. Got to keep them separated. In the, exactly. In the, in the words of uh, the offspring. The offspring. The noted physics group, the offspring. So the article does also talk about other effects of space flight. So there's muscle and bone loss, which they try to combat with increased exercise, but it only has so much effect. In January, researchers looked at the impact of long-term space flight on immune system cells of astronauts. Specifically, they studied the effects of six months of space flight on a type of white blood cell that kills cancerous cells in the body called natural killer cells. These NK cells also prevent viruses from reactivating. Cancer is a big risk to astronauts during very prolonged space flight missions because of the exposure to radiation, says Richard Simpson, senior study author. Um... NK cells are also very important to kill off virally infected cells. When you're in the space station, it's a very sterile environment. You're not likely to pick up the flu or a rhinovirus or some community-type infection. But the infections that are a problem are the viruses that are already in your body. These are mostly viruses that cause things like shingles, mononucleosis, or cold sores. They stay in your body for the rest of your life, and they do reactivate when you're stressed. Mm-hmm. During the study, the scientists studied blood samples from eight astronauts who spent time on the space station and compared them to healthy people who have not endured spaceflight. The astronaut blood samples were taken before, during, and after spaceflight. Compared to the healthy controls and how they were before flight, the astronaut's NK cell function was impaired during and after spaceflight. On day 90 of their stay on the space station, samples of NK cell activity against leukemia cells in cultured dishes was reduced by 50% in crew members. And it was even greater in astronauts who went to space for the first time compared to those who previously flown mis- missions. So I suppose this is something you can acclimatize to to an extent. Yeah. Or, or maybe if you've flown a mission already, you're already 50% down. And, uh, <laughs> that's, that's also true. It's just a decaying curve. So I don't know. Yeah, whether you sort of, if someone's about to do a long space mission, do you send them up to space a little bit first? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The ideal space thing space. is if your mum sent you to space when you're seven or eight, just to get yeah. with all the rest of the kids. Yeah, just like, just after after she sent you around to the neighbours. Yeah, well, my dad caught me in space once, and then you know, <laughs> did, you make, me... did he make you finish it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he made me do a whole month of space. <laughs> and you know what? I've never wanted to space again. God, yeah, that's how you do it. Um, this reminds me. I, I forgot they also had Scott Kelly. Uh, former International Space Station commander, captain, person on the space station. Um, he was in the Flat Earth documentary. 
Oh, really? And uh, unlike Buzz Aldrin, it, wait, Buzz Aldrin gets mad about people who just deny the moon landing, not necessarily flat earthers, but, but, right? Uh, right, and but he also, also, I'm he, sure he they're put, very he connected. He punched that guy, didn't he? He yeah. did, and that, but but the that guy, guy was chasing him everywhere. <laughs> and like, yeah. of, why are you calling him a liar? Like, yeah. But, but even Scott I, Kelly, who'd been up to space, wasn't like mad at these guys. He's like, yeah, I've got, I've got to find some way to talk to him. I was hoping he would have his own, like, here's a simple proof from when I was up there that, uh, but I mean, of course, there's tons of sort of simple proofs, and yet none of them do the trick. Yeah, this. Like the, the movie, I wish you'd seen it, but like the. I've got to have. I will watch it. They try to do an experiment that I haven't done the math on to see if it would work, where they have a laser and they found this canal and uh, they're going to have posts that are all the same height out of the canal, like right. eight feet. And over the course of these four miles, if this laser can go through three holes that line up in those posts, then there's no curvature. Um, spoiler alert, there is curvature. <laughs> but I was surprised that even that was enough. Like, I would think four miles. Well, the, well, the, but, but also, I, if I were a flat earther, that wouldn't be enough to convince me. Because flat earthers don't believe that the earth is 100%. They still believe in hills and well, mountains. Exactly. That's and, what they did it above water in this canal. And I was like, well, you have to figure oh, out. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. If Sorry. the water's moving, then it's I, going, I missed, I missed right. the canal bit. I wasn't. But even that part, you'd have to figure out if the water's moving... Um, obviously it's going down, so the elevation changes, but if it's moving at the same rate the whole time with those three posts, those three posts could be the same distance out of that water and still be in a straight line. That, that's, that line would just be descending a yeah, little bit. Yeah, so there would be a curvature. Okay. But if they're, it, but it, if feel, the, it feels like you're trying to convince someone whose standard proof is such that they believe the Earth is flat. I, <laughs> <But> that's <laughs> and that's a problem. And also, would, do they believe that water always sits flat, or would they believe that... The ground has a has bumps to it, and the Earth sits a certain distance above those bumps. So you're like, oh, you found the b- bit of the Earth that is. Yeah. Well, funny you should ask because something they alluded to in the movie, but you know, it was shot a year and a half ago, so it's not coming to fruition right now. They also think so. A lot of the theory is that it's a disc that has a dome over it, and that disc is surrounded by what we think of as Antarctica, which is really like this wall, like something out of Game of Thrones. Okay. And uh, it was just recently announced that flat earthers are planning a trip to Antarctica to reach the end of the world. (laughs) (laughs) So a group of conspiracy theorists who believe the Earth is flat will one day, uh, one day soon, one day embark on a trip to Antarctica to visit what they consider the end of the world. Prominent members of the group have recently expressed interest in traveling to the distant continent to prove once and for all the planet is not spherical. And we will be joining them yes. thanks to your kind donations. <laughs> so big thanks to the people who've donated, who've gone to probablyscience.com and chucked us some money. Mm-hmm. I think this is as good a time sure, as Sure, let's do it. We'll thank the PayPal people and then we'll thank the Patreon people next week. So thank you everyone who's donated through both of those processes. But thank you, Robert Condon, uh, John Clarici, Lindsay Bacon, Trevor Hubbard, Oren Harris, Bryson Rose, David Geelan, Sean Gordon, David Worth, Destruction Lane, William Mulligan, Becky Grady, Jacob Rochester, Zvonimir Kroons, James Kazan, Karen Meeburn, Drew Chapman, Karen Gleason, Brooks Gilmore, Thomas Hatfield, William Bagley, Daniel Monson, R.L. Kapper, Jacob Rochester, and Pandora Young, oh, and also Charles Tyler and Jake Swenson. Thank you very much, both of you. And then a very uh, nice uh, one-off donation and an apology from Peter Lipchi, who said he was disappointed he couldn't get to the Melbourne or Sydney show. So then chucked us a nice amount of generous amount of money. Thank you to yeah. support the Australian tour and encourage other big ones. It, it paid for a fraction of my chiropractic. Thank you. It did. Uh, <laughs> And then also Gerard McDonald as well with a one-off donation. Thank you very much, everyone who went to probablyscience.com and clicked on the donation button. That's very nice. And of also you. thank you everyone who spreads the words and tweets and Facebooks and Instagrams and does whatever other just face-to-face 
word talking things that can tell people that we exist so we do appreciate all of that and the people who write nice things about us on itunes and other podcast apps that let you review yeah do, yeah. do you think anyone has ever read out a list of names no, thanks are also due to uh kevin barter and then at the end just go I'm so terribly sorry. That is people we've lost this year. (laughs) 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 And not even like died. I mean, just lost from the subscription. They just, they just finally backed out. As they should have. Again, guys, it's never too late to leave. Uh, I want to make sure everyone knows it's an open door. We we do appreciate you. Thank thank you. Uh, also, a few, for a few of those names that I recognized that we actually met in person in Australia. That was very cool. Yeah. Uh, it, was, um, it was lovely putting various faces to various names. Fun uh, meeting oft story, uh, frequent story contributor <laughs> James uh, Justin Broad in, in Sydney. That was a blast. Um, speaking of people we met, I forgot if I ever clarified on an episode since Australia that was indeed Malcolm Young's son. I know I told you that off mic, but I don't, in case listeners wanted closure to the story uh, about being in Frankie's Pizza in Sydney and meeting, meeting someone who I was told was <laughs> an ACDC offspring, I looked it up and that was indeed Ross Young. So that's satisfying to me and nobody else maybe, but uh, <laughs> the closest to a celebrity sighting that I had down there. Ooh, I saw Cameron from um, Ferris Bueller in and out a couple weeks ago. That was kind of exciting. <laughs> you guys aren't Ferris Bueller's Day Off fans yeah yeah yeah, I, yeah. I, I saw the film I enjoyed it enough <laughs> that wouldn't be a okay it it's was, a minor celebrity sighting I, but it was you know so what, like I, I, I was also like watched I forgot it. how much I love that guy I, I watched it later in life That's as well weird. so it didn't imprint in the same way that yeah. it did no, I like that it's an iconic film it's... And, and he really like he's I, I do well. know Jonathan Smock who played the snooty maitre d <laughs> oh what's he from you know him personally yeah oh just through comedy? or Yeah, he's a comic and comedy writer and actor. Oh, crazy. Um, yeah, Cameron, it was really cool to see everyone slowly react in the In-N-Out because everyone was like very respectful but excited. It just put a what's smile it, on everyone's What's it in and out Sorry. Oh, it's just, just a, burger a hamburger place. chain. Oh, okay. But it's like, a, you know, it's a good... That's what I, I didn't know. That was yeah, So when you said, oh, I saw Cameron from Ferris Bueller in and out <laughs> What? Oh, what that meant. As that in, was some you kind You gave of... him an, an examination of some kind. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I penetrated Cameron... Um, no, it's just like a it's like a higher end, uh, only located in I think California, Arizona, Nevada, maybe. Right. Just like better than McDonald's, but um, yeah, the whole place you could see everyone just the mood improved. Like everyone was just oh, cool. happy because Cameron was there. People weren't bugging him too much, but like a couple people wanted pictures. But uh, and then did he did he leave? Get into a Ferrari and drive away backwards? Kind yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of get those miles down. It's the <laughs> only way he's allowed to travel anymore. <laughs> His dad's Ferrari that he's still driving. He's sponsored by Ferrari, but under very specific yeah, yeah. conditions. Weird sponsorship deal. Because like, Ferrari firstly felt they could do with the exposure. Sure, mm. they need they need to get the word out about you Ferrari. Know how Ferrari's Sometimes always people forget about Ferrari. Yeah, always advertising. That's. Really, I guess I bet they. I'm trying to think where. The, obviously, the they advertise in one sense by plunging millions into Formula One racing. They have their own team there, which I guess is a oh, type yeah. of advertising. But other than that, where. I know there are rich people magazines because every so often I've been in places where rich people hang out like a fancy airport lounge Mm -hmm. and suddenly you realize there's just, oh, this coffee table has magazines on it that I have seen in no other place. It's like GQ, but for billionaires. And it's like just... I I once saw saw as a headline on the front of a magazine in an airport, and this was about 2008, just after everything went south with the economy. It said, yachts to beat the credit crunch. (laughs) (laughs) Tough. Yeah, yeah, why would those magazines even... 
Well, I guess, yeah, it doesn't matter how small their circulation is. I'm sure it costs a ton to place an ad so it all works out. But, like, yeah, does Ferrari have to get the word out? Like, does anybody, does Rolex have to tell you they exist? Rolex does advertise. I've yeah, seen adverts for Rolex in, in, in airports, in fact. Generally, they'll have adverts there. Did we talk about when I was in uh, Southeast Asia about my friend buying a, Rol- a fake Rolex? Did I mention that in the air? No. I can't wrap my head around what it's for because among our circle of friends, someone's either going to be like, oh, that guy is an asshole who thinks it's <laughs> worth spending $5,000 on a watch or that guy's a liar. Like, wh- no- I, 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 once, uh, I once bought a fake watch in uh, Hong Kong. It was a really good watch and I liked the look of it Ex- until when you look closer, it said 007 on the second hand. <laughs> it, it was like a tie-in one. But it was, it was like this replica Amiga and I thought it looked really nice. Uh-huh. Right, um, I, I, can see, I can see the appeal to that. But, if you just like it had then, a nice style. But then people, yeah, people yeah. who knew what that watch really cost asked me is that real one? oh no and I suddenly realised that's going on I'm splitting the world into people who think I, I passed the real one in an airport once and it cost a thousand pounds like twelve hundred dollars and that's but that's you know kind of reasonable like, that's what I would get is a fake well no but compared to I think there's no Rolexes Rolexes that cost <laughs> less than I think like five grand is about the minimum so like if you have that someone knows you have that kind of money and if you run in certain circles then that's plausible and therefore, it would make sense to have a fake one because then you're accepted into this status symbol group. But if you're hanging out with comics and they know how much they cost, it's one of those two things. You're either kind of a douche or you're a liar. But if you got a fake $1,000 one, it wouldn't be as crazy. And I'm being judgmental. Whatever. If you want to spend your money on watches, that's fine. But like, if you don't, if the rest of your life doesn't look like you're flashing money around, it would just be yeah. doubtful as to why you'd suddenly have this $5,000 sure. thing on your wrist. But also, um, a, a friend of mine's agent got given one as a big sort of corporate present, this uh, Rolex, and, and then he, he took it to to a watchmaker or something and said, there's something wrong with this because it's, it's losing like, a couple of minutes every day. And they're going, oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, if they're, if they're actually <laughs> they're, handmade. They're, yeah, they're terrible at telling time. Right, right. Or, that's not, that's not what they're for at all. Yeah, well, whatever exact one this was, I think it was a Rolex. Yeah, and I think the ones that they make... Like, have we talked about Shinola, that brand, and how they kind of tricked everyone into right. thinking they're bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. because their watches are assembled in Detroit? But that means like someone is putting in four screws because it's just a right. quartz oh, okay. mechanism. Yeah, it's not yeah. like it's whatever you call the actual mechanical clockworks that make... Like, like, like where a beer is bottled somewhere. But, yeah. But, but has come somewhere. on a big tra- yeah, yeah. tank And it's not even, it doesn't even have the, the mechanics that... You know, what you open it up, there's no like tons of little gears and things. It's just the cheap mechanism that makes any cheap watch work. Yeah. I've, I've never heard Shinola outside the context of the phrase, I don't know shit from Shinola before. Well, you know why it was called that, why that phrase exists. I, I honestly had never had any idea of the origin of that phrase until about a minute ago when you started this conversation. Yeah, so it's shoe polish. So you don't know right. shit from Shinola. You don't know shit from shoe right. polish. It was a shoe polish, then the brand wasn't being used. And then this Houston billionaire uh, was trying to think, what's a depressed city in this country? What's a brand that we can bring back? So he just bought the rights to Shinola, decided to say this thing is in Detroit. Detroit's coming back. And it's all fake. It's all like it's yeah. it's insane. He's not even from there. He just thought it would be a, a success story for America to get behind. But they're not training watchmakers. They're training people to put in four screws. And then they still <laughs> sell it for, you know, there's like $500 watches and things. It's I guess they make bicycles. I don't know if those are good. <laughs> But yeah, what, no, there's no shoe polish. Watches, shoe polish, and bicycles. There's no shoe polish. Now it's just like a lifestyle brand that's trying to get you excited about America, but again, nothing's actually made there. So. Wow. 
Can, can I add to the uh, flat earth thing? Yes. Because um, I, I only know one person to my knowledge who believes the earth is flat and they believe a lot of other shit. That you... Which um, is often the way with conspiracy theories. Like yes, once, once you get a couple, you sort of hit this tipping point and then you just... Once you hit a certain level of refusing to believe authority or or refusing to accept facts from any mainstream source you it sort of tips over and then suddenly yeah, the, then suddenly you're only accepting facts from non-mainstream sources and rejecting everything that is also supported by mainstream sources yeah. and you, you end up basically by default accepting every level of bullshit yes yeah, this woman one of the main characters of the movie just said uh they asked, asked who do you trust and she thought for like 10 seconds and just said myself like it's gotten to that point <laughs> there's nothing you can sorry you were saying Oh, just that somebody did a study on it and found that the single biggest indicator of whether you will believe uh, conspiracy theory A is do you believe conspiracy theory B, and that 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 is significant statistically, even if those conspiracy theories contradict each other. <laughs> so people people who believed that um, whatever it was about nine eleven were also likely to believe that um, Osama bin Laden's still alive. Okay. So so they then oh they dumped him at sea to hide something. Also he's still alive. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Just yeah, anything that's different from any fact. Well, I guess the wait, wait, how the theory being that it would behoove us to keep him alive for some reason. No. Yeah, because it was well, yeah, it's, it's never logic. I mean, to make absolutely sure that he <laughs> that he doesn't Makes no sense. Escape and explain how it was an inside job. There, there was a story. Like, sorry, Matt. Sorry, d- d- sorry I, I've got totally sidetracked. But the uh, this guy who believes the Earth is flat, along mm-hmm. with other things, um, hurt his hand, and he's a musician. Right? He needs his hands. Yeah. But he uh, <laughs> he then became really quite seriously ill with his hand because he tried to treat it with his own urine. Oh, yeah, that seems pretty unbrand for a lot of those kind of people. Yeah. <laughs> what was his technique? He just pissed on his wound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so- Poor dad, but I, the first time I ever met him, I had something, whatever it I don't hurt my wrist, I don't know what it was. And he went, oh, yeah, dab a bit of wee on it. <laughs> I said, just dab a bit of piss on it. It doesn't even no. work for jellyfish things. It doesn't work just- for anything. I mean, for fun, it works for Trump, I guess, but... Uh- yeah. Allegedly. It helps tan leather, right? Is that a thing that they use to tan leather? I think so. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, That's why I always piss on horses. <laughs> just retreating them when they're still alive. <laughs> you don't need a saddle if you piss on the top of a horse. You do it long enough stirrups form. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I well, thought actually, sorry, while, while uh, we are talking about things on horses, there was this zebra stripe story. And then a sort of debunking. James Milner and I think a couple of others sent in this story, but that a new theory as to why zebras have stripes, uh, and it's because they confuse biting flies uh, and making it harder for them to land on it. Mm-hmm. But we've had other Which, stories in the past about the stripes being I general thought- camouflage because it makes predatory animals, like large predatory animals, uh, find it harder to spot them because the stripes break up the shape, particularly when they're in a herd. It they, it sort of, it's almost like wearing camouflage as a soldier. It sort of changes your the outline of your shape and mm. makes you harder to track. And movement is confusing. Uh, but this theory, what they did was they put uh, in this study, they put a sort of zebra 
clothing on the back of a horse and investigated what would happen and also tried. It's a pretty great, found, great costume. Yeah. What, horse fancy dress party. While flies decelerated oh, prior to landing on horses, they approached zebras at a faster clip and failed to slow down as they closed the distance, often bumping into the zebra before mm. flying away again. Um, so there was that story and it, it did the rounds and I saw it popping up. But it seemed a little too convenient. And an old university friend of mine... Uh, it's weird. There are two Michael Marshalls who are in our orbit. There's Michael Marshall, who I went to university with, who writes for New Scientist. Mm-hmm. And there's Michael Marshall, who I think uh, has written into us as well about things, because he is part of one of the, um, the UK skeptic groups. I think he was part of the group that did the homeopathy pill overdose stunt oh, okay. and some other things. <laughs> Uh, so this is this is the new scientist writer Michael Marshall who says in an article called "The Problem with Just So Stories," you know the sort of Rudyard Kipling how the yeah. how the something got it yeah. something. Uh, it's best uh, biologists have been debating the puzzle of why zebras have stripes since Darwin's time, but a study published on Wednesday offers further evidence for one of the most promising explanations that the stripes deter biting flies. In parts of Africa where they live, there are blood-sucking horseflies that carry lethal diseases such as uh, trypanosomiasis. And clearly they do well to avoid being bitten. The idea is the stripes somehow confuse the flies so they don't land on the zebras. A team led by Tim Carrow of the University of California, Davis, tracked captured zebras and horses at a site in England. Horseflies circled around both, but they landed on horses significantly more often. Putting striped coats on the horses' bodies meant the flies landed there less often, but still landed on their heads, which were uncovered. The implication is that the stripes were having a real effect. Mm. The hypothesis backed by, is backed by a lot of evidence, but does that mean that it's the only reason for the stripes? Not necessarily. Some ideas don't seem to stand up, notably the suggestion that stripes help zebras cool down on hot days. If that were true, we'd expect a lot more tropical animals to be stripy. But other ideas seem to have more to them. One idea that seems ridiculous at first is that the stripes are a form of camouflage. Obviously, zebras are not inconspicuous, but the stripes could create dazzle camouflage, overwhelming the predator's visual system and making it hard to track the movements. Think about the experience of watching a herd of zebras all dashing in different directions and imagine trying to pick one of them to bring down. The evidence here is mixed. A 2016 study suggests the dazzle effect only really works if the stripes are parallel to the animal's direction of travel implying that the zebra stripes don't work this way, but that was based on tracking humans playing a computer game. A 2014 study based on computer modeling of how zebras would appear to a predator suggests the stripes would be very confusing. There's also the possibility that the stripes are a signal. The message might not be for other zebras. In 2017, researchers suggested the stripes signal to other grazing animals, encouraging them to graze alongside them. Such mixed species herds offer more protection against predators, but this is only a hypothesis. Perhaps the most important point is that these studies can only tell us why zebra stripes continue to exist today, not why they arose in the first place. Evolution, and I think this is key, uh, this line, evolution is good at repurposing things, so a body part may arise, be used for one purpose, and then end up being used for something entirely different. Yep. An obvious example is the lens of the mammalian eye, which probably arose simply as a protective cover for the retina, and only later developed the ability to focus light, creating a sharper image, which is now its most quote obvious function mm. it may be that the zebra stripes have a similarly complex history there's something psychologically appealing about a single clear explanation that instinct doesn't mean we are wrong to seek such, seek such things sometimes just so stories turn out to be correct but this is one area where our biases can work against us so there might not be one reason sorry zebra or zebra fans out yeah there. i think that's because 
it may well be that that is a very useful byproduct of whatever thing originally, or even that the stripes evolved for a couple of reasons simultaneously. It might be that simultaneously it made them less prone to being bitten and more confusing to predators right. and and signaled to other herbivores to graze. Like it could be some combination of any of those things yeah. in different proportions that all of which marginally nudged their evolutionary chance of survival and reproduction. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when when the story was reported, it's like we now know the, the reason this happens. Reason yeah. this happens. Yeah, this is why they evolved. This is why the this animal decided to have this pattern. Yeah. Speaking of things that make you more or less susceptible to getting bitten by bugs, Balaz Lovenberg sent a story. I'll just summarize it very quickly. Just related to the fact that we talk so much about mosquitoes down in Australia, the likelihood of being bitten by mosquito appears to be dramatically increased if you drink alcohol. It was um, a small study, only 13 subjects. because you're more likely to fall asleep in the jungle. I mean, I guess. (laughs) You're on a holiday. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Those who drunk a bottle of beer were more likely to have mosquitoes land on them to feed. Exactly why they're attracted to drinkers, no one is quite sure. And also, do the mosquitoes get drunk themselves? Um, Let's see. They said that uh, they suspect the answer is no, but because the blood alcohol level is going to be so low. Is there anything about blood-sucking horse there was flies? Something about that was my favourite favorite phrase from the zebra story. <laughs> blood-sucking horse flies. You know, normally the, f- the word fly doesn't improve, you know, doesn't make a phrase less alarming. But I think uh, blood-sucking horse fly. fly. Yeah, you're right. Something about fly doesn't sound that... But having grown up in a place where... Did, did you guys have many biting horse flies back in England or not? I don't. It's not normally it's a really painful. It's a it's a really annoying, way worse than mosquito bite kind of. We situation. have tiny little gnats and midges. Yeah. And no, things. the you giant horse flies out near lakes in Michigan would be really right. shitty. Um, but uh, one last thing: uh, fruit flies, I guess, do experience effects from alcohol. Like um, they get drunk and they um, let's see, they get che- <laughs> in small doses. They get hyperactive and flirty. They get less choosy about their partners. And then give them a larger dose and they just pass out. That's fruit flies, though, not mosquitoes. Um, and there was one story that I wanted to do. I think I put it at the top of the dock there, Matt. Um, Is it about blood-sucking horse flies? If only. I love the phrase. It's like a rich person insert. You blood-sucking horse fly. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't so, even have a caption on this article. I, I don't even know what it is. I'm excited. It's loading up. It what do we got, Andy? It relates to a thought experiment we put to our listeners. We were trying to figure out if there's a way we could calculate the experiential midpoint of a person's life. <laughs> you know, how life seems to, time seems to go by faster the older you get. And uh, we came up with this theory that, like, well, let's just say that your real sort of memory counting years or whatever start at like five or something because infant amnesia or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then. From four to five, or let's say it starts at four. From four to five, one year represents 20% of your life. From 49 to 50, that year is only 2% of your life. So it makes sense that if you're looking back yep. over your whole life, that last year seems like a smaller thing than the four to five year. And then we had put it to listeners to figure out, well, then when have you lived half your life experientially? And it's basically just the square root of whatever age you're going to live to. But you could shift it off by five years because you, you, you don't stout, you know, you don't remember what, zero to one really consciously anyway but this other article tries to give uh, a different explanation for why time flies as we age a duke university researcher has a new explanation for why the endless days of childhood seem to last so much longer than they do now physics he says uh adrian bejan the j a jones as you get taller you get further from the center of the earth (laughs) (laughs) this is a professor of mechanical engineering at duke um it's apparently 
Uh, this apparently well, you're going around quicker, right? You're, you're, you're sure your head's moving faster than the head does before. <laughs> well, particularly if you get a job in a high tower. Yep. Uh, this apparent temporal discrepancy can be, can be blamed on the ever slowing speed at which images are obtained and processed by the brain as the body ages, which is a different theory from ours. This was published uh, March 18th in the journal European Review. He says people are often amazed at how much they remember from days that seem to last forever in their youth. But it's not that their experiences were much deeper or more meaningful. It's just that they were being processed in rapid fire. Bejan or Behan attributes this phenomenon to physical changes in the aging human body. As tangled webs of nerves and neurons mature, they grow in size and complexity, leading to longer paths for signals to traverse. As those paths then begin to age, they also degrade, giving more resistance to the flow of electrical signals, which I didn't know that resistance increased with age of those signals. Um, these phenomena cause the rate at which new mental images are acquired and processed to decrease with age. This is evidenced by how often the eyes of infants move compared to adults. Because infants process images much faster than adults, their eyes move more often, acquiring and integrating more information. I didn't know any of this. The end result is that because older people are viewing fewer new images in the same amount of actual time, it seems to them as though time is passing more quickly. The human mind senses time changing when the perceived images change, says Behan. The, pr- the present is different from the past because the mental viewing has changed, not because somebody's clock rings. Days seem to last longer in our youth because the young mind receives more images during one day than the same mind in old age. Which I don't. It, it says that all with such certainty. Like it couldn't at all be the thing that I'm talking about of just a year being a smaller percentage of your life when you're older. Yeah, I, I, I was. I always put it down to that. Yeah. I mean, not, I, not just I don't a smaller percentage, also. but also your experience, what you expect out of life is from a much smaller sample. So every, everything that happens is a bigger part of it. And there are probably more frequent, drastic changes in your life. Like you don't have yeah. that many, you know, whether it's changing the schools that you're always going to every, even if you don't move, you know, at most six years in one place or five. You're going to remember and, a day when, you know, you, you fell over six times and your t- tooth fell out. That's a, that's a if it happened today, it would probably be just as yeah, yeah, yeah. Losing my tooth today would be as memorable as losing it at like age seven, I think. I'm never going to forget that day in 2019. Yeah. Why? Um, the, there's a couple of little... Uh, that's it, yeah. You, you have it every day. You, you, you shit listen, yourself. You fell sure. over. Yeah. I've never forgotten days I've shit myself. <laughs> fell out. And then you got, you got to suck milk out of your human tit. Yeah. <laughs> That, sh- that that didn't happen with while you had teeth. But sure. <laughs> hopefully, it does hopefully. a bit. I think it overlaps. That's so, but also, you the... means that we don't re- we don't remember anything of the first few years, out, yeah. do we? Yeah. So, shouldn't we just not give kids anything until they're like five? They're not going to appreciate it later. There are people who are like, "Oh damn, we took our kid to Disneyland too early. It's not going to count." Yeah, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> we spent all this money and they're not going to remember it. It's, uh, have you heard um, Sam Harris's last but one podcast? Uh, I think so. uh, was it topic? Dan- Daniel Kahneman. Oh yeah, I'm halfway guest. through it. Yeah, because they're, they're talking a lot about the difference between your mem- remembered experience and your lived experience. Right. And I think yeah, that's. And whether which one's sort of better to please or to work towards pleasing? Yeah, your remembered self versus your experience. But itself. The, but the, we treat we treat it as other remembered experience is really important, and it, and it seems to be for us. But that thing of you can listen to a beautiful symphony and then three minutes before the end something shit happens and, and you know the speakers blow or whatever and, you, and it ruins the whole experience for you even though you had exactly the same experience as the perfect one apart from the last three minutes yeah yeah that's a good point um first uh, female winner of the Arbel Prize oh yeah I saw that K- 
Karen Ullenbeck, whose original research was in effectively the sort of the shapes that bubbles would make in higher dimensions. Like what is the minimal surface and the minimal distances, but in higher, you know, a straight line is the shortest distance between two points on a plane. Uh, a great circle is the shortest distance between two points on a sphere. So like the path that an, a plane takes. A gr- the shortest distance between... I didn't know that was called a great circle. A great yeah. circle, a great arc. But, uh, and you, and you, but, could have, you can have a uh, an equilateral triangle with three ninety degrees. Right. Uh, yeah, you can, if you put... On a sphere. Oh, on a sphere, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. On a sphere, yeah. If you think, like, you put one of the points on the north... An eighth uh, of the surface. You put one of the points in the north pole and then another point on the equator and two the other point... On the two points yeah, yeah, yeah also but, on the yeah, equator. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, her, her work was basically in sort of coming up with generalized uh, theories and equations for what happened. So a, a bubble, for example, is spherical because that is the least energetic, that is the smallest shape that the smallest surface area that encompasses a certain volume. Right. Uh, and, but then she starts talking about, like she started looking into what happens in, if the, the shape is enclosed in a different, um, if the world's enclosed in a different shape or there's two touching each other or you're in more than three dimensions and coming up. And this work has uh, lots of implications in everything from the purest of pure mathematics to also quantum physics and uh, general relativity and all sorts, and she has won that prize, which has only been awarded. It's a relatively new prize. Yeah, I, I hadn't realised. It it's spelled it's A B E L, right? Yeah, it sounds named- like it's been around since literally the third human. <laughs> <laughs> Fourth. It is named after Fourth. Niels Abel, who is the uh, uh, Norwegian mathematician from the early 1800s. I know who he is. I've flown on Norwegian air. Yep. He's every famous Norwegian. is. Like, it's like a propaganda film you have to watch. Oh, God, that's right. Off. I flew on them as you well, were, and he's on the see, list. You know the name from that? I thought you were joking. No, no, no. no. Oh. I, 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 I bet he was on it. He, oh. he, he 100% was, because I have seen that same video, <laughs> and I was already aware of who he, he also gave his name to Abelian groups. He was involved in the the, uh, the formation of group theory. I don't know whether he, like him and Galois who lays claim to it the most, but they, they are both people who died very young. Yeah. Who, else some, who else is some uh, famous Norwegians? I can't think of any. Excuse me. The, I mean, the, the most famous. Yeah. Is, can you pull anything off the, the top the, of your head? The, the, there was one guy who, because you, you, before you get to watch the movies or whatever, you, you can kind of, these famous Norwegians, you get a bit of information about them. Well, it, 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 it was even it was playing on a loop. controversial. Is this guy, was this a good person? <laughs> Which person was it? With his controversial eugenics theories. Oh, oh, you know that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, here are some famous Norwegians uh, on this Ibsen. list. Uh, Ibsen is on there. Yeah, uh, Ibsen's on there, yeah. Munch. Munch. Oh, Grieg, the, the composer. But yeah, Edvard Munch of The Scream. Uh, Roald yeah, the Dahl. The Scream, which has just gone on uh, just gone on display in London. In well, what, there are several Screams the- I hadn't realised. There's more than one The Scream. Well, given what's happening in Britain, it's probably a pretty big one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is it Munch or Monk or Munch? Monk? I, so I almost certainly mispronounced it. And, and I, I just went Munch as though he was German, which he's not. So sorry. And I'll never get that sound down. I've tried. Here are the, the, right. Here are some others from this. Yeah, because it's 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 different from like um like the like Munch, München, to München, say Munich, yeah. Munich. I can never. never and it is fricative, so it's not. <laughs> well, that's fricative, but it's um, fricative meaning that the air keeps going through it. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, um you know the double L in Welsh? 
No, what is that? Well, it's pronounced as well, but um, there's a lot. English comedians go to uh, Llanelli and go, hello, Llanelli. And everyone goes, no, that's not it. There's a lot of names on this list that I don't recognize. But, uh, so Magnus Carlsen, the world chess champion. Uh, <laughs> don't know. Friend of the show. <laughs> friend of the- <laughs> Contributor. Uh, Bell Gunnis, a serial killer. Oh, okay. Friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Friend contributor. She uh, a donor, but not a donor of money. And <laughs> Did you say she? Is it a female serial killer? Female serial killer. Oh, Norway. Surprising. Faust, the musician. I don't know the musician, Faust. Are you, this, this isn't the people who were being advertised about on Norwegian Air you're looking at, is it? No, no, this is just a website. <laughs> and and <laughs> everyone's your favourite serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> Anders Brevik. No. <laughs> well, of course, because they have like the Norwegian black metal scene up there. Oh, right? yeah, they've got a lot of famous death metal and yeah. black metal musicians who I don't know because I'm not sufficiently into the... Right, right. They've got various famous footballers. Okay. By the way, I was not trying to impugn the uh, good uh, our Norwegian listeners. I have nothing but respect. I just don't know much of your history. I was trying to think of uh, people from there. King Harald of Norway. Sure, makes sense. Born is, is he the guy AD. that Bluetooth was named after? Oh, that's right. It is an old ass name, isn't it? Oh, I It's literally named like that because there was a King Harold who united the kingdoms of Norway and Denmark. Mm-hmm. And this is the idea. God knows what made them think of it. Like, oh, well, it kind of unites the kingdom of your, your phone but, with your headphones. But also famously, if Norway and Denmark ever get more than about 20 meters apart, they stop working. <laughs> <laughs> you, said, you said Harold, right? That's what it is. Yeah, Harold 10th Bluetooth. century king, Harold Bluetooth Gormson. And his daughter is the woman that the gun is named after. The gun? The gun, generically. Gun. gun just yeah. G-U-N. Wow. I take it all back, Norway. You, are, you have a rich and storied... Obviously a storied history, thanks to Norse mythology, but... Uh, um, were we in the middle of a story? I forgot where we were. I don't know. We, we, just, we just announced that the winner of the Alba Prize... Oh, that's right. Yes. Was, ...is Professor uh, Karen Ullenbeck who is a leading and very important mathematician. So take that, people who say that women can't do multidimensional geometry. <laughs> <laughs> that is what they always say. Yeah. There's one thing I know. Yeah. It's, well, the, it's, well, the just, thing is, it's just socialised. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're worse at the geometry bit, but they're better at the multi-part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should we uh, cl- close off with something that is also obviously something our listeners would send in that's very short? Go on. I... I... <laughs> <laughs> a woman who almost died from a stroke triggered by oral sex. Yes, pretty much that. It's pretty much that. A British and it woman. Was, and by the way, she wasn't either giving or receiving it. She was just watching it's it. The idea. <laughs> she, she was, it, it was just explained to her. <laughs> <laughs> no, all this time you couldn't have. Come on, I, I, I in watched, the mouth. I in once, the mouth. I once had to explain to my mum. Oh no! But yeah, uh, we were doing the private eye crossword. Private Eye is a British satirical um, uh, magazine, and it has a crossword. It's mm. kind of witty and a little bit naughty and dirty, and with, with quite a few political figures and things like that. And uh, I, I can't remember the clue, but the answer was fellatio. And my mum, who was incredibly good at crosswords, used to do the crime, Times crossword every morning in like 10 minutes. Mm. Um, she went, oh, yeah, and she saw how, the, how it worked. And then she went... What is fellatio? And I had to, oh, I had so to she tell worked it mom. out from what the construction of the well, letter. I, 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 I got the answer. Okay. 
I don't know. And then she, so she saw, oh, yes, that makes sense. That works according to the clue. Yeah. And then I had to explain what it was. Mm. Well, when a, <laughs> when a man and a woman love each other very much, or, yeah, a, or a man and a man, or... <laughs> yes. When, when some non-Catholics love each other very much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the worst. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so your mother had a stroke then, had to go to the hospital. <laughs> Um, so yeah, according to a new report from the British Medical Journal, this unidentified 44-year-old um, suffered a transient loss of consciousness while receiving oral sex from her partner. After the woman was unconscious for two to three minutes after the sex, her partner got nervous and took her to the ER at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, London. Once there, the man told doctors his partner's body had gone stiff during their session. The woman told doctors she had a headache and that she described it as a six out of ten on the pain scale. Um, for- <laughs> Just I'm on the pain scale. On the, sure, yeah. scale of it. I mean, Jason. I'm, I'm, I'm not disparaging you, darling. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my back, my back pain is so bad I can't even get jokes quickly. Uh, I'm uh, not even right about now. the pain scale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like that. Um, so yeah, at first Jason doctors, Williams, by the way, sent in this story. Oh, thank, thank you, Jason. Jason. I'm sure others have too. I'm very, very yeah. sure. Uh, at first, doctors believed based on the symptoms she'd suffered a seizure. But um, doctors later learned she experienced a blackout caused by a sudden lack of blood supply to the brain, also known as a reflex-mediated syncope. Syncope? So um, apparently this is not uh, unheard of for orgasms to cause stroke. Activities that involve sudden increases in blood pressure and sexual activity um, is is well described as a precipitant. Studies with intra-arterial monitoring during coitus demonstrate that during sexual activity, blood pressure as well as heart rate is very labile with particular rises during orgasm. I don't know. I, I just, uh, you know, I don't know. It's worth, I don't worth buy it. No, I don't think correlation, causation. I don't <laughs> yeah, just because something happens during or after sex doesn't mean it was triggered by sex. And I, yeah. you know, I, I include ejaculation in that. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, oh. and so far, yes, they've, they've correlated well. Sure, sure. <laughs> but I have That's no idea proof. if it's, yeah. Also, they're I, flat earthers, they're orgasm deniers. Well, they might, be two, or they might be two things caused by the same thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, I, I'm pretty sure. Usually, usually wine. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm pretty sure if if oral sex caused caused stroke, I would know by now. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's the new bar. Yeah. I mean, I mean, after after pretty sure, after, uh, just pretty after, <laughs> more than eight times. Sure. Yeah. You'd know. Yeah. You'd know. Yeah. Just the fact that they've done these uh, intra-arterial investigations during coitus, which I, I just the ad the ad for that. Yeah, we need couples needed. I'm in adventurous. Sure. Oh, couples, damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. The guys are always gonna. Hey, Nick, where can our listeners find you and follow you and track all your stuff? Well, I mean, I move around a lot, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I um, well, I'm on Twitter at Nick Doody. Um, and I have a podcast with the other friend of the show, Carrie Marks. Yep, which he forgot to plug at the time. <laughs> yeah, it has since been mentioned on a, a future it's episode. Not as regular it. as I'd like it to be, because because uh, of the little things like me being in LA right now and Carrie being in Australia. Right, it makes it quite hard to. And do. also, you now no longer both live in London. Yeah, we, we live a couple of hundred miles apart at normal times. And we don't even know if he currently is fighting off a tetanus infection from that fork or what. Have we That's followed true. up to see what happened to him? <laughs> After he stuck himself with that's, a fork that's while doing why a not trick. replying to anything. Yeah. <laughs> His Instagram, but he's just joined Instagram and he's also just download, clearly downloaded some animation program. I was wondering yeah. what that was. His yeah. Instagram is Car- very interesting. Carrie's Instagram, because he's shown it to me, is, is really very funny. It's uh, he's he's very quickly taken to he, 
carries some very much the autodidact and has taken so, yeah. taken to the uh, to weird silly animation very quickly. It's very amusing. But your podcast is called Citizens of it Nowhere. It's called Citizens of Nowhere, and it's it's about, about about things that we would like to talk about, but we're too nervous to talk about them online underneath posts. Right, ah. and, and the name gets it, it gets its name from the idea of neither of you feeling like you belong to any particular tribe or. Yeah, kind Gang. of. That was roughly the idea. And it's, it's also a uh, it's, it's also a quote from Theresa May, the British Prime Minister. Mm. If you say you're a citizen of nowhere, you're a citizen of. If you, yeah, people who say they're a citizen of the world are citizens of nowhere. It's just, she, is that a negative or a positive? She's oh, trying to she means it very much as a negative. I think. Or I, th- I think that's I think that's what she said. She's, oh yeah, yeah. She, she basically declared culture war on you know. Okay. She's a big nationalist, I guess, then? <laughs> she yeah, wouldn't say bit. that? Oh, God, no. <laughs> well, she, she was, before she was Prime Minister, she was Home Secretary for many years, and she was the one responsible for the go-home vans that drove around London. Oh, hmm. okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the, uh, what was it called? The climate of... Uh... Uh, the, uh, I was about to say inclement. Yeah. Not that... Uh, uh, something it wasn't hostile climate was it Host- it was ho- hostile yeah it wasn't climate anyway the hostile it was a hostile environment we're, we're, yeah it's part of a that was genuinely how our government described its policy towards immigration towards, 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 make just, it hostile yeah although they, that's the goal is to part have a hostile environment, environment for oh great policy, that's yeah. a good long term goal to have yeah, the world's absolutely. not good right now but no. the podcast is listen to Citizens of Nowhere yes and go and yes. see Nick do stand up and also you, you're still touring with Dave Gorman right now aren't you or you're about um, to do no, some more dates that's finished uh, oh, okay. otherwise I would not have been able to just go to America <laughs> oh okay uh, but there may be more dates in October November and also you can still look up episodes of Modern Life is Goodish Dave Gorman's show and oh see. yeah which is a lot of fun yeah I think you can't it's very hard to watch it from anywhere other than the UK but if you're in the UK you can get online and I yeah. very much enjoy that you uh, Nick's written on a bunch of other TV shows and oh and you know also we, I plugged it still when fine. Sarah was on the show. I forgot to again where Kerry was. But you can still find Bigopedia and clips of Bigopedia, the Radio oh, 4 yeah. series that Nick and I and Kerry Marks and Sarah Morgan all wrote back in the mid-2000s. And it's still one of the things I'm proudest of having been involved in. That's very sweet of you. Yeah, that was my baby. That's... that's uh, yeah, could could you get the rights to that and put that out as a podcast or even just put it out... As a podcast, I I, I I have put some parts of it out as part of a previous podcast once, but there were things that never were going to. There were things the BBC wouldn't. Yeah, there were broadcast. things. There were things that got cut for various reasons. Uh, like in one case, cut just because they decided it was obscene. Yes, and the the the, 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 um, the standards or whatever they called it, the BBC came back and went. Um, we see what you're doing with the sketch, but the pictures it puts in your head are disgusting. <laughs> pictures. <laughs> So that got cut from the episode. That, 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 was a, that was a sketch called Cupid's Nozzle about a very rare mutation, which is a gland that's on the top of the head that when the... When the you see where this is going. Yeah. Right, when, the, uh, when the bearer is, uh, is happy or Sorry. content or delighted, it twitches and emits a sticky grey liquid, which we changed to blue so it didn't sound so much like cum. <laughs> uh, and then we, and then we had still... a, cl- a clip from a documentary from the 1950s of a young boy who had it. Who you could argue was ejaculating onto his mother in the sketch, <laughs> but because 
<laughs> which basically the guy interviewing the in, the young man says, "Well, I think you'll be very brave." And the woman's like, "No, don't praise him." <laughs> Ow, you just hit my back. Hurt. Oh, I'm sorry. You literally man. just hurt my back. <laughs> and oh. The- yeah, and then there was a... Well, she's already mentioned was Anders Brevik basically oh, killed a sketch because there was a sketch that I think nearly... That was mostly Nick's writing that was about a... But it was based on something that Matt and I discovered together while we were in the Alps, which is uh, Iceland. You know you know how we have a bunch of stuff... Uh, there's, like, Christianity tacked onto previous religions, like the, a, the, the holly like and the ivy and the Christmas trees. When we do all. Christmas, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 and that stuff. And Easter, the fact that Easter is named after an ancient goddess, which is where we get the word... Estrogen from her estrogen. Oh shit! Because I didn't she's know that. a fertility goddess. Um, but the, like Iceland, so in some other countries, what they had before wasn't like druids. What they had was troll legends. Mm-hmm. So in Iceland, they could attacked parts of Christmas onto the troll legends. So they don't. They don't have like one Santa Claus. They've got how many? Is it eleven? I think it's like one, for, maybe twelve. I think it's one for each day of Christmas. Oh. But they have I these think sort it's of an odd number, which makes it funnier to me. <laughs> yeah. But but each of them is they they visit on subs on successive days and each of them is malicious in some way or another. It ranges from they're called the Yule lads. They're they're the daughters of a of a she troll and they come in and each of them does something to ruin your day. <laughs> it's like and, and some of the most small things like one blows out your candles. One of them yeah. sucks milk from your from your animals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's one with a peg leg. <laughs> One bangs your pots, turns... That's right, yeah, just bangs kitchenware. So that's, uh, Matt and I had never heard of this, and there was a... There was a, it was a, a we had a very entertaining couple of days where we just kept pitching different... Other say, yeah, other one, one of them powers. tapes over your wedding video, one of them tells you the end to a novel you're reading, you know? Uh, so that this sort of morphed into a sketch that Nick wrote, which was about this small town that has created this Christmas legend of a character... But it becomes very. It becomes more and more apparent throughout the sketch that there's just a serial killer who lives in that town, <laughs> and rather than having to face the horrifying rea- reality, they've somehow worked this into some mythology. Yeah. So just every year, people go but, missing. But also, it's Christmas all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's just the, what, what's wrong with you? Of course, it's, it's Christmas. It's not Christmas now. Yes, it is. It is always Christmas. <laughs> Doctor Fleshbiter is nearly here. <laughs> so. So, so I, I think it was a very funny sketch, but then but the, uh, yeah. a horrible mass murder happened in, oh, no. and it was set in a Scandinavian oh, town no. as it well. Was so set, we like, it was set in Norway. So, uh, oh, when Don- that shooting, when that like fifty person, yeah, yeah, yeah we called yeah, yeah. it like, like a shot. right? Do- so, Doctor Fleshbiter. So it was, it was just one of those things of just oh, a horror, a yeah. horrible thing has happened that involves murder and Scandinavia, and we've got this. Support, Great sketch. This funny a- sketch that is suddenly a lot less funny. So it just it never made it yeah, into the air, and so Nick, I think, put it out years later as just here's a we are sufficiently removed right. from now this event, and here is just a funny this. and it's a right sketch. So check out Bigopedia, and uh, yeah, I have to run. I hate to do this, but I have no. We've got to get out of here anyway. We've, we've run very very long, but <laughs> thank you, thank thank you so much for joining us, Nick. Thank you, listeners. Yeah, thank you. Oh, a pleasure. Uh, questions, comments, clarifications, probably science gmail You can tweet us at probably science and individually at Andy T Wood and at Matt Kirshen, mm-hmm. Facebook slash probably science. We will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.